Welcome back to another WSL episode. A lot to cover about Women's Football Weekend, to say the least. Um, but I'm your host, Alexi Baceta. Jesse's on holiday, um, too busy with Mickey Mouse at Disneyland Paris. Um, but I'm joined today with Abdul Abdullah and a debutante guest, goal Women's Football Correspondent, Amy Ruskai. How are you two? Abdullah, let's start with you. Let's see how, how you are, and then we'll get on to Amy, who might have a bit more to say about the weekend. Maybe she was there in person, so she got... She had the better experience of all of us. So, Abdullah, yeah. how are you? I'm I'm not too bad. Nice nice weekend. Um, I took the Sunday off as I don't know if most people know. I start working on a on a Sunday because Sunday to Thursday working days over here. So, uh, took the day off. Managed to catch a few games on Saturday. Well, didn't catch the game on Saturday, but I cast Sunday games. Fun games all around. We have a title race, and uh, I'm excited. I'll keep it at that. Amy, you went to to a game this weekend. You want to tell us about how it was? Yeah, I um yeah, I was at Everton, um, Man United. I had a very nice onion bhaji wrap actually that was given to me by the club, um, which was very exciting. Um, and it wasn't too cold. I've been to the Walton Hole Park back to back weeks expecting freezing cold, chucking down rain, and it's been all right. So I've had my sunglasses the other day. So yeah, a very strange experience actually. Sunglasses in the north in November. So yeah, a good one. Honestly, that that day looked a lot better than here, like in the south. It was actually ridiculous. It was. I looked out my window and it was basically looked like it was about to piss down. And then I look on TV at Everton and it's like absolutely blissful. Um, But yeah, Jesse is away, but we'll hear from them now for and what they thought about this week. And they haven't watched any matches, but I think there was enough to go off of based on results and and highlights. So we'll hear about what they thought about this weekend now. Bonjour à Paris. Um, What a weekend to have missed, eh? Starting off with the news that Sam Kerr signed another two-year contract with Chelsea, so we got her to the end of 2024. Uh, absolutely chuffed about that. And then uh, Chelsea, obviously, smashing Man City. Um, I haven't watched the game, so I'm living in blissful ignorance of the fact that Chelsea were maybe not quite as good as the scoreline suggests, but I watched all the goals. I enjoyed all the goals. I find it absolutely bizarre that City basically scored conceded the identical goal in the identical minute um, just being absolutely awful playing out for the back and I'm not being funny I know they've got injuries but all of those players should be able to pass so I've got no you know bad feelings for Gareth Taylor um, and I think often we see great players make individual mistakes and they're not comfortable with the system they're playing in um, so it's truly amazing how he's clinging on to that job uh, long may it continue from a Chelsea perspective and then of course um, Queen Rahan doing the dirty on Arsenal at the weekend um, shame Spurs couldn't get the full uh, win um, I'm looking forward to watching this one as well really intrigued to see uh, how much of this was just Arsenal being unlucky and how much was Spurs being good but I did warn everyone on the last podcast that Arsenal's expected goals excessive overperformance couldn't continue forever and hey ho here it fell relying on Fifth Me Mars new ponytail to, to pick them up a point so yeah we've already got a, a title race in our hands now I think with Chelsea only a point behind Arsenal so it's shaping up to be a cracking season and uh, looking forward to catching up with everyone properly soon Au revoir And as it stands Arsenal lead at the top still 
but their lead got chopped down and now the Gunners are only one point ahead of Chelsea in second. So that just got, as an Arsenal fan, it got really nerve wracking as in general, it got really juicy. Um, but with their win over Leicester City, Brighton now jump into that third place. Um, Tottenham get knocked down to fourth place, but of course that's only one point off. Um, not exactly the, the table that we predicted. I keep saying that every single week, but it really, really isn't between Brighton and Tottenham kind of bouncing between that third place spot. Um, but Man United are in fifth and Manchester City sit in ninth place 12 points off Arsenal at the top and eight points from a Champions League spot and Leicester City stay bottom with zero points um so let's get right into it shall we because there is quite a lot to talk about I think we're not going to talk about every single point um I think we can probably do one podcast on every single game because there's just so much to to dissect but first one of the weekend we'll we'll Actually, no, we're not going to go in order. I'm not going to lie. But first one of the weekend and first one on the podcast, uh, Arsenal won, Tottenham won. Rachel Williams scored in the 65th minute and Viv and her ponytail got the equalizer in the 92nd minute. A surprise result, to say the least. I think all of us were quite confident coming into that, that Arsenal would get a win. It wasn't going to be a comfortable win just because it is the North London derby and, and Tottenham have been relatively organized but I think Arsenal were expected to get three points at the end of the day whether it was a scrappy one no one two no win it was supposed to be a win but where do we even start Amy do you want to try to to generalize a, a summary about what happened here yeah I mean this was such a crazy weird game um because like you say you expected Arsenal to kind of like not like cruise, but you just thought they they you'd expect them to win. Um, and I feel like even if you played this game, if you played it ten times, they probably would win like nine of them because they create so many chances. Like they hit the bar twice, um, and the quality of players they have, like they should be finishing those chances and they should have won. So they'll be really disappointed there, especially because the goal they conceded was really sloppy as well. Um, but to be fair to Spurs, they created plenty of chances. Could have made it two 0 when when Neville. I don't know how she missed, bless her. Um, but I thought Copeo was really good in that. I thought um, they were really gritty in defence. And I think they actually look like they can do more damage to like the top teams this season because they got some pretty decent threats on the counter. So, yeah, it was, it was kind of like a weird one where it's like maybe a draw was the fair result, but also Arsenal should have won and also Spurs could have won. So I think that is how weird the game was. <laughs> Yeah, I think we've been, I think we said it last podcast, kind of looking forward to everything that Ryan Skinner has done with Tottenham. But we think that perhaps Tottenham, they do everything right. Like the, the, the defensive grit is absolutely, you know, they're organized. They're last, last, last ditch defending is really good. You know, they'll get in the side tackle, do everything they need to do to, to keep the ball out the net. But going forward, I think they need just a little bit more of aggression and, and kind of someone that's a bit more ruthless in front of goal. As you mentioned, you know, Ashton Neville could have buried the game at 2-0 and yeah, I don't know what the hell happened there, but it just didn't happen. And they don't have that that striker that can get them out of games. You know, that's what Alex Morgan was supposed to be. And she wasn't that for many, many reasons, but principally she just they haven't had a striker to cleanly get them out of games, um, you know, get the ball up to the striker. They do everything well. The counterattack is is really, really good. You know, they get the ball out. They have a solid midfield that can pass the ball up to a striker, but they just don't have a ruthless finisher in front of goal, we think. But Arsenal finished with 19 attempts on goal and Tottenham with 11. You know, when you look at the numbers, it's not 
I don't think it's as telling as it is maybe to the naked naked eye. Um, but they both finished with six shots on target. Um, I mean, I think if Beth Mead would have scored that free kick in that first half, which should have gone in just for merit because that was a, such a good kick. I think it it could have been a completely different story. I think then Arsenal could have had that that little bit more of calmness coming into the second half of we just need to keep playing our game and we'll be fine. Um, as you mentioned, Amy, they did hit the post twice, which is really, really painful. But I think with Spurs getting that kind of security of nil-nil, I think it was a lot easier in the second half for them to just sit a bit more and defend a bit more um, and let Arsenal just basically just ruin their own game plan, which is what really happened in the last like 20, 30 minutes of the game. Arsenal were just kind of panicking and looking for that goal and Tottenham were... were happy to just sit back defend and go on the counter-attack um but yeah it was it was a very interesting combination of Arsenal being able to not finish their chances and Tottenham being really well organized but Abdullah you know we've talked about Ryan Skinner on this podcast a lot and uh, luckily Jesse isn't here to, to continue this conversation um but is her team being so defensively and well organized and efficient I guess in a team like Arsenal considering the track record that Arsenal had coming into this game, is it a bit of a surprise for you? I think so. I think a little bit because, you know, when we, when we talked about Spurs and, 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 and we were, you know, we were joking around in the first half of the, you know, first few games, I think, I don't think any of us would sit here and say, yeah, you know what, when they play an Arsenal or a Chelsea, they're, they're going to be able to hold firm and, and kind of hold their own. I, I don't think that's that would have been uh, something we would have said because possibly t- against teams at their own level, yeah, sure. But uh, it's actually quite a surprise at how well they held Arsenal. And not even that, they held Arsenal, they took the lead in the 65th minute and while they did concede, they conceded only in the very, very, very dying minute. So I think that to some extent, it's a testament to the way Rianne Skinner set up the side. And then I think she's, I think she's found um, a good back four uh, and a consistent back four where, you know, I think, I think they all know how to play with each other. And I think the the system and the structure that she wants to put into place now, I think that's now kind of showing. Um, it's not to take away from the fact that like, like both of you have alluded to that, Arsenal should have buried their chances. I mean, it was like from, I mean, admittedly, I saw the last 20 minutes, but from the, from the, from the general vibe and what people are saying and from what I saw in those last 20 minutes, I'm like, Arsenal could have easily scored two or three goals throughout that game and, and they could have finished off. But you know what? Credit to Spurs for, for, for keeping them out for the way they kept them out and for however long they kept them out, they kind of took their chances and they got a scrappy goal, uh, you know, to, to score. And then, um, you know, they, they, they defended. I mean, and then like we were saying, I think, um, that this this counterattacking style might it suits them to the ground if, if they can go into January and pick up a a semi clinical striker or someone who can who can who can help play with them on the counter. I mean, there's nothing like it. I mean, obviously the NWSLs uh, will be back up in the market with the players there with their season ending sooner rather than later. Um, maybe they don't go and get a glamour signing this time and maybe a more practical signing. And then, you know, that could uh, that could do them a world of good going into the into the last few months of the season. So basically anyone but Alex Morgan got it. I mean, if she's going to play more than, you know, more than a few minutes a game, then then sure, why not pick <laughs> up an Alex Morgan? But, you know, just like, let's not do it for the glamour. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And Amy, how big of a result do you think this is going to be looking at the rest rest of the season? Obviously, Arsenal still have the, the advantage because of those three points that they got against Chelsea at the beginning of the season. But Chelsea are starting to pick up 
maybe a bit faster than Arsenal are at the moment that I really don't like to admit at the moment. But how, like, how big is this draw for Arsenal looking at the rest of the season if they want to stay at the top of the table? See, I said early on that I think this season we'll see more teams kind of outside the the big three. I don't know if it's like a big two now because City are having a little crisis. Like, I think we'll see more of the teams lower down take points off the top teams because you saw like kind of in the summer, some of the signings that teams are making, like West Ham getting like Hasegawa and like, you know, Kaya Simon, I think is a really good signing for Spurs and kind of players like that, Reading getting Diam Rose. I was like, oh, there's kind of like a few match winners kind of dotted around across the league now. Um, I think especially when Arsenal and Chelsea have the midweek Champions League games contend with as well. Like they could drop, Chelsea could drop points after like a long trip in the Champions League um, to, you know, maybe a Brighton again, like last season. So I think they'll drop points somewhere. I think it won't be like it has been in past years where people drop points. You're like, oh my God, this is the biggest shock in like five years or something. Um, So I don't think it's too damning at this point, but you know, I'll probably be proved wrong and Chelsea will win every game now. Now I've said it, but yeah, that's how I see it. No, I'm manifesting a 2-0 win for Brighton against Chelsea. <laughs> it's just going to happen now, isn't it? It's going to be Dan Carter scoring a brace. Maybe, no, 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 actually, you know what? I'll give Dan Carter one goal. I'll give Anissa Kagman the other one. Um, it's happening. Just watch it happen. I'm going to be amazing. I'm going to go just get on the lottery. Anyway, a tough few weeks for Arsenal now, who have Man United next Sunday, Chelsea in the FA Cup final, and then Barcelona in the Women's Champions League. And on this recording, Tuesday evening, we just got the news that Leah Williamson has a significant hamstring injury, um, which is not the news that you want to hear, particularly for Arsenal, for many, many, many reasons. But it seems like her 2021 is done, pretty much. Um, Jonas, they still have to do more scans and everything. And Jonas alluded to the fact that, yeah, her she's not coming back before Christmas. So potentially towards the end of January, beginning of February. Um, I think that's with with the really, really hopeful um look at the injury. Hamstring injury is never is never really good. But a big loss there. But Abdullah, do you think that Arsenal can keep up their momentum for these matches that are coming up? You know, I think I think it's going to be very telling on on all the teams, not just Arsenal, just because of the the way the schedule is now. It's just the games are coming thick and fast, and the fact that you know we're starting to see injuries likely at Williamson's, especially a muscular injury. You know, hamstring injuries is a, is a is a very delicate situation. You don't want to be rushing players back because these can easily relapse, and you know you can go into 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 a worse spiral. Um, I think this will test the the squad depth that that Arsenal have. Um, you know, I feel like they. I think they've got the personnel, but I think there may be, after this, there may be one or two injuries away in the in the entire backline before they start having to worry about you know maybe bringing in Katie McKay back for, you know back from where she's been doing really well, bringing in some more youth players. I mean now I think obviously. Um, Wobin Moy is going to get a good run, extended run on the side, and then obviously they got Adam Patton on the bench as well, uh, and obviously Jen Beatty's. I think I think she's still injured, if I'm not wrong. Um, but you know she's also a, she's not. All right, fair enough. That's that's the last news that I I missed. Um, fair enough. But they've got a couple of centre backs that can still do the job, which is the main point that I'm trying to make here. Um, 
I think they've got the depth, but you know, it's one of those things where if they, they lose any more players, then we're going to start seeing uh, a few issues arise because um, you know, it, 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 it's, 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 I, I, I don't think they are used to playing or rather all the teams are used to playing almost two, three games in, in about seven, eight days for, you know, a couple of weeks uh, ongoing. So I think, I think we'll see whoever comes out of this pretty much alive and sort of the best through it, if I can put it that way, will probably determine where they're going to end up at the end of the season. So if Arsenal can get through this relatively unscathed, pick up as many points as they can, I, you know, they, they could make that run for that title. Jonas made a really funny, not funny, because if anyone knows Jonas, you know that he does not joke around. Um, but he kind of, people were obviously asking him at the press conference today about the scheduling and he actually brought it up himself first. Um, and he alluded to the fact that Chelsea have the better schedule. Um, they have the later kickoffs. They have a bit more space in between matches, I think. And between, like when you look at down to the hours of recovery and stuff, I think Chelsea have a bit more than Arsenal do. Um, so that was quite interesting. Uh, I do have to look into that before I can talk more about that. But it, it was, yeah, I think the scheduling, I don't think anyone's happy with it at the moment, just because of the constant. I mean, when you're looking at, for example, Arsenal and Chelsea schedule, you know, you, ha- you have back-to-back schedules and they're lucky that they're not Lyon that had to play Bayern Munich. They played PSG and then they have to play Bayern Munich again. And when you look at that, that's absolutely ridiculous. When you have these high, high, high intensity matches, you have three of them in a matter of like eight days, pretty much. Um, but moving on, because we can probably talk about this forever. RIP William, Leah Williamson's 2021. Um, it's it's gutting. She gets to miss an FA Cup final at Wembley and a Women's Champions League match at the Emirates. I mean, it's probably the worst person that can happen to. But I do have to say that Steph Catley has played center back before for the Matildas and Orlando Pride. I think she played there briefly as well. And Leah Valti has been used as a center back for Arsenal before. So we could potentially see that. But um, considering what Jonas likes to do, um, I'm very curious to see what happens. But focusing on the other side of, of the North London derby, Amy, do you see Spurs continuing this season in that top three and maybe like, you know, top three, top four, we'll say, because it is bouncing a lot, but do you, do you see them staying there for the rest of the season? I think it's kind of clear they've improved. Like Rianne Skinner's had a proper full preseason, a proper transfer window. Like obviously she came in mid season last season. So that's good. And you can see that she's had like an impact. Um, I just said, I really like the signing of Kaya Simon. Um, and I think we saw glimpses against Arsenal. She could be like a good sort of counter-attacking outlet against like in these big games um, where they could nick a point off, you know, some of the top teams again. Um I think the only thing with Spurs is like Abdullah said, like they don't have a, a kind of guaranteed goal scorer. So you look at like Man United and Man City sitting below them now, who, yeah, they have their own problems, but they have Ella Toons, you know, scoring goals for fun and creating goals for fun. You've got Ellen White, who you know can put the ball in the back of the net for City. And they can like, you know that you have a goal. Whereas I don't know if Spurs have that. Um, so, I mean, I guess if some of those teams below them who, you know, maybe have better squads don't sort themselves out too drastically, then, you know, why can't Spurs stay up there? But I do think, yeah, maybe a, maybe a signing in January of that can score a few goals would, would definitely not hurt them. We're prompting an Alex Morgan return to, to the WSL. It's going to happen now. No, I'm kidding. Please don't. That was... A dreadful, dreadful time for many reasons. Um, but we'll move on to the next big match of the weekend. Um, Man City nil, Chelsea four. Uh, Jesse Fleming scored. Uh, 
I mean, this podcast is a very, very, very big fan of Jesse Fleming. Um, another goal, Man City lost again, which is lovely. Um, that's three goals in three games for Jesse Fleming in the last eight days. She scored twice in the WSL, um, obviously that winner against Aston Villa, and then in the Champions League she scored. Um, things you absolutely love to see. Um, but yeah, this was Chelsea's first win away at Man City. Um, not a shocking result at all. Uh, it was a bit sad to talk about it, though, leading up to the weekend. Obviously, this was a big women's football weekend and a Chelsea-Man City matchup is usually, you know, a title race, title winning match. And this season, it was just kind of a, probably the least exciting match of the week. And it could have still been good if, if Man City would have lived up to the occasion. But I don't think anyone was, was, anyone was particularly shocked that Chelsea won 4-0. Um, but there is, you know, we're running out of words to describe how poorly Gareth Taylor is doing and organizing his team and, and getting them back on track and motivating these players. Um, I think now it's it's been long, far too long to, to fall back on the, there's so many injuries and all that stuff. You know, these players, as Jesse said in their in their voice note, you know, these players are still supposed to be able to play really, really good football and at least string passes together and score goals. But their title race is really shot down now. Um, who knows if they'll make it back to the Champions League spot, but obviously there's there's another half a season to go, so anything can happen. But we all know in the WSL that getting back from a very, very big point gap in the table is extremely hard. And once you're out, you're you're kind of stuck there for the rest of the time. So we'll see how they do at the end of, by the end of the year. Um, but Amy, I know you love Gareth Taylor. We've talked about him quite a few times between us two. How much longer do you think he should be given to get his shit together? I think they need like an immediate upturn. Like, I mean, so it's interesting because you could give him a pass at the beginning of the season because the injuries were insane and like the lack of preseason, which is obviously not a decision that he single-handedly makes or anything. And the performances weren't necessarily bad. They were just not converting chances and then the defensive mistakes were twice as costly. But then when the injuries have been the same for ages, you must have adapted. You've got to get on with it. And like the starting lineup at the weekend, like you had 10 senior internationals. Like it's what he's left to work with is not like a bad squad. Um, I just think in terms of his future, it's interesting because City as like the whole City football group, they're very into like they have to fit the City football group mold, don't they? Like that's why they kind of, you know, they had Nick Cushing from the academy that was immersed in it and then Gareth Taylor. And it's like, do they see somebody out there who fits all of that, but then can also come in and do better like immediately because this they're just kind of running out of time to kind of be like oh well this manager can come in but he might need like four games or she sorry that's a very sexist way for me to put it he or she might need four games um to kind of like make an impact and then it's like well you've lost the champions league spot just because of that so i guess he there needs to be an immediate upturn because they can still get top three because the, the challenge of like Everton and Man United isn't very strong and they'd expect themselves to beat Brighton and Spurs, really. But yeah, it needs to immediately sort of change, really. There needs to be an immediate change. Yeah, and the, the excuses that he gives post-match just really isn't helping himself out. Um, one of the things that he said after the match is that tactics aren't a problem. He got, I think he felt really offended when people were, it was a genuine question. It was, you know, obviously journalists asking questions like, what do you think? What, are, what is it? You know, trying to get Gareth Taylor's genuine opinion about, I mean, there's no hiding that. 
it's going really, really bad for for him and Man City. But in this particular match, City edged possession fifty with fifty six percent, and both sides finished with the same shots on target at six. So the scoreline and what we saw with our eyes would probably say something different than when you when you look at those numbers. I was a bit shocked when I saw um, the shots on target because City did get chances, but I think Chelsea were just all over them. And and perhaps we have alluded to that in this podcast as well that Chelsea do get a lot, but they're comfortable with one, they're comfortable with not having possession and two, the reason why they don't have a lot of possession or it seemed like it is that most of their football is counterattacking. It's getting the ball directly. So most of the time that's going to end in a goal kick. That's going to end in a goal. It's going to end in a corner kick. So those plays are really, really, really short. And that doesn't add up in the numbers. Um, but Abdullah, you know, Garrett Taylor tactics, not a problem. Apparently, what do you have to say to that? To be fair to him for this specific game, maybe for a small while, it wasn't the problem. I, I feel like it's, it, it's, I think, okay, I think it's more of a tactical problem in that they're very predictable in the way that they play. They've got the same patterns of play, they've got the same movements, they've got the same sort of like third man runs up through backs. It's like the same way they want to play through midfield. They keep doing it. The problem is they're not adapting enough. And while generally speaking that those tactics have worked and they've always worked and they've been good. And I mean, you've got the midfield to be able to do that, you know, and and I think choosing the right midfield trio for me, I think is probably where he's gone at where he's probably going to have to figure it out because he's got so many good midfielders in there. Um, But I think if something isn't, uh, if something isn't working, he needs to figure out an an alternate way. I mean, we've seen, uh, I mean, I think that was one of the, I don't want to say criticism, if I, if I can call it, I have a lack of a better word, but I think last season, I think one of the things that I was talking about, uh, about Chelsea was that this is great. They, they, they play some fantastic football, but then if you're going to play the same system week in, week out every single week against top teams and every other team, eventually you will get found out. And if you don't have an alternate plan B in, in a sense where you're tweaking things, you're not going to it. You're not going to get through. And, well, the Barcelona result might have been the same for Chelsea, for example. Uh, that doesn't change the fact that it could have maybe only been 2-0, right? It could have been 2-0 instead of 4-0 if they had maybe adapted, right? Because it, we saw teams like Bayern and Wolfsburg and everything do that. But to 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 not digress anymore, the main point is I think he needs to figure, I think he needs to change something because it's clear what he's doing isn't working, whether it's against mid-table teams, whether it's against top sides. And I'm... Yeah, at the same point, I'm pretty sure that the players must be thinking, well, what are we doing? Like, if, we, if you're not going to fix this, we need to, we need to do something. And I, I'd be surprised if they haven't already, maybe, you know, there, there hasn't been a chat with them from somewhere saying, that, listen, maybe you need to try something else. Um, because there is a, I know there is the City way of playing, as, as Ami alluded to, like, you know, like Nick Cushing was so ingrained and they wanted to bring Taylor to continue that that philosophy. But at this point, you need you need to do it. I mean, you're literally going into free fall right now. I mean, at this point, are you going to finish up ending up like 10th or 11th by the end of the season if you're going to just keep losing and drawing games? Um, so, yeah, no, I think I think overall there, there has to be a change. Whether it's drastic or not, I don't know, but something has to be done. Yeah, I think we can all agree on that. I think everyone knows that except for Gareth Taylor. Or maybe he does and just doesn't want to admit it. But we'll look at Chelsea just a little bit because obviously they were the better side and they are a good side. They picked up a lot of momentum. Um, I think luckily Arsenal played them at the start of the season. That's, I'm saying that as an Arsenal fan. It is. It was very lucky that we played them start of the season and we got that result because now they're. I think they've picked up momentum really, really well and 
they're really confident with what they're doing. Because And we won't talk about the back three this season, uh, this episode. Um, got a little bit of dig on that on Twitter. Uh, we won't talk about that. But Amy, what's impressed you most about this Chelsea side this season? You obviously, any tactic uh, back three, you don't have to say that if you don't want to. Uh, any player in particular, uh, what are your thoughts on Chelsea? Um, Erin Cuthbert has seriously impressed me. Um, I think considering she spent a lot of last season kind of not in the cold, but she wasn't a regular in the starting lineup. Um, and I really like Erin Cuthbert. I always have. I've always thought she's like so talented, but can also do things that like she, I mean, she has this wonderful like grit to her game. Like I think Emma Hayes once, I remember on a press conference, described her as the player that's prepared to do all the shitty jobs and she does them at the top level. Um, and I think that's a great way to describe her because she's she's playing that wing-back role at the moment in that back three, if I dare say it. And this Man City game was like going to be one of her toughest challenges because she's facing Lauren Hemp, right, who's been insanely good despite City not being good. Um, and she just kept her quiet and then also offered that attacking threat. I think she's just been a really nice fit for that role, considering, you know, the, the questions that you've had about the players in the back line, you know, do Chelsea need these wing-backs, full-backs? Can they go out and get some? But I think Cuthbert's been really good since Chelsea have stuck with that. I think she's been amazing this season. Yeah, I think one of our... We, we talked about it, whether it should be back three, back four, for example. And one of our biggest things was the wing-backs. Erin um, Cuthbert and Grora, and I think, have sought into those positions really, really, really well. So when you go back to the back four, where do you put these players? I mean, is Erin Cuthbert going to go back onto the bench? Is Grora just going to go? I mean, where do these players go? I think... Yeah, it's it's more about I think Aaron Cuthbert has been absolutely amazing. It is true. Um we've I think we alluded to it last last season in the Champions League of Aaron Cuthbert being that balancing act when you look at a player like G who's a bit more calm you know you have Aaron Cuthbert running all over the pitch uh, getting the ball back and then letting everyone like she just makes it easy for other players to do their job um while she does that grip work but Abdullah can you see City coming back after seeing this is this this display against Chelsea? If we're going purely on that, um, probably not 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 enough to get into the top two, top three. Um, maybe they'll end up finishing for that coveted fourth spot between Everton and United, just because they aren't playing the greatest football themselves. So I think it's a, I think at the moment it's a three way tie for those three teams to try and get into that. Um, to that full spot. I think Brighton have been amazing and I think Spurs are doing the same thing, but I think eventually they may possibly fall off into mid-table and if they finish up ending fifth and sixth, I mean, that's a great season for them as well. No, but for Man City, unless there's a substantial change, even that fourth spot is going to be a tough ask for them to get to. And I think games against United and Everton for them are going to be very, very key. Um, so yeah, unless we see something... Um, unless we see something drastic change, I, I don't I don't think... Uh, I don't think it's going to happen. So in short, no. <laughs> yes, in short, you know, and after my long-winded answer in short, no, I could have just said no, but you know. It, it should be interesting. It should be interesting because it is, yeah. I mean, we've definitely talked about it enough about how Man City should be playing good football no matter what. And we have the play, you know, the injuries, yes, but then you, you still have Lauren Hemp, you still have Ellen White, you still have, you know, Bunny Shaw, you still have Vicky Lozada, Kira Walsh is back. I mean, the list goes on. It should, shouldn't should be as bad as it as it is and it should be. Garrett Taylor just getting out please for the sake of press conferences too because his press conferences are so so boring um anyway we won't get to that much and we'll move on to the next match next up we have everton one man united one simone miguel 76 minute equalizer 
it wasn't a foul. It was a fair play. It was just a really, really bad mistake from Mary Earps and Maria Dottis-Dottir. Really sad to see. It was it was almost a foul, but it it really wasn't. I mean, Mary Earps had no control of that ball at, at any given moment. It was a fair goal. Um, Ella Toon scored in the 10th minute. Uh, good shot. I mean, her touch was away from the defender and then just slotted it far post. Uh, keeper had no chance at all at doing that but an entertaining match I think this is always going to be one of the matches to watch on the weekend um considering that we all thought that Arsenal were gonna win against Tottenham <laughs> that wasn't supposed to be the match of the weekend um but yeah a 1-1 draw entertaining a draw was probably a good result for both probably considering where they have been in the season so far um though definitely I thought it could have been maybe a 2-2 draw you know something a bit more juicy um but yeah it was a mistake from Manchester United defense I got Everton their goal though Everton were knocking on the door for the entire match um I mean there's no secret in that Everton had 11 attempts on goal with five on target and United had 12 attempts with two on target and I think that's very telling of the game um Claire Emsley absolute cracker of a shot hit the post um that I think Mary Earps could have gotten it um if it would have gone in I think she had her hand enough but I mean that was a cracking shot it just dipped so nicely oh chef's kiss on that but yeah it has to be said that I think Everton did get the clearer chances overall and I think that's just that's not a new problem from United um even last season under Casey Stoney and United were never really able to be that ruthless in front of goal you know, finish their clear chances and and have a lot of clear chances during the match. So that's not really something new necessarily for this United side. But Abdullah Jean-Luc still looking for his first one with Everton. What do you think of this performance? And can you see what he's trying to implement with the teams yet, with the players that he has? I think I, for once I can say kind of, yes. I mean, that, that, I mean you, you just read out the stats, right? And I think that in itself is a little bit telling on, on, on what he was trying to do. He, I think, I think, I think bringing back Claire Emsley into the fold as a starting player, instead of coming off the bench, I think that was a really good move. I think she was lively and probably for me, you know, best player of the game till she, you know, while she was on the pitch. Um, and I think she was really threatening. I think I think she almost had like this free roll coming in, you know, off the left, kind of going out wide, coming inside. And I, I felt like she, you know, if she had a little bit of luck here and there, I think that that post against the uh, the shot against the post, I think was was brilliant. And there was a few times where even even her crossing into the box wasn't too bad. I think Valerie Gova had a couple of chances in the first half as well. Um, so I, you know, for once, I was like, wow, he, he actually implemented. A something resembling a style and a philosophy, you know. Over, I know, I I know, I sound really salty and bitter, but you know what? After seeing him for about a year and a half at Leon, I, I, I have to, I, I can't understand how he's done this and, and why he's done it. Um, no, but to give him credit, I can see something going on over there. Let's see if he can continue this and make it a, a regular thing. Although, to be fair to myself, I did mention the fact that maybe this is the one time where he has control over a team and he has control and he has a say over what he can actually do at a club that isn't Leon, where you know there are so many big players in the dressing room who kind of in some sense, at least before coached themselves. Right. And now it's, he's got a team where they can probably listen to him. He's got, he's got this name under the CV and the trophy. So I guess it's, um, I guess it's something and, and, and kind of a shout out to, I think, I think Kenza Dali is going to be a huge, huge player for them. Her creativity in that midfield is unbelievable. That one through ball for Clamsley in that first half. Oh, that was, now that's a chef kiss as well. That was such a beautiful pass. My problem was, was that, they didn't get her on the ball enough in that first half. And when she did get on the ball, I mean, she made things happen. So I think Kenza Dali, Claire Emsley, 
they'll be key. I just think they need either Anna Anvergaard or Valerie Gonva to, to, to get firing. And I think they can become a dangerous proposition again. Yeah, it was definitely a bit underwhelming for Valerie Gonva, even Tony Duggan, who had the, the the winner at the end, who just kind of mishit it and couldn't really get good contact on it. Um, I think once Everton actually get into the room, once Valerie Galvan gets back into the rhythm, rhythm of scoring goals, obviously she was injured and I don't think she's she's come back necessarily to her full um, potential since that. But Amy, you know, we're, we're talking about Everton here, but you look at United, you know, they have Ella too. Alessia Russo's back and I cannot talk well enough about Alessia Russo. I mean, the goal that, that happened, the counterattack was Alessia Russo picking up space, taking it up and then, you know, that through ball that she threaded through was just the weight on it was brilliant. It was perfect. And she's ruthless. You know, she's good on one V one. She'll body off any defender that tries to come her way. And her shots are absolutely ridiculous. As we saw, I think it was last week uh, or two weeks ago when she fired that shot and there was absolutely no stopping it. But what do you think of where Man United are this season, especially when you compare them to, to where Casey Sony left them off last season, are they using their players to the best of their abilities? I kind of don't know how to think about Man United, to be honest. They have, like, some good players. Ella Toon, Alicia Russo, in good form. Um, on the Bayer, who I didn't even want to mention on the pod because I didn't want you to rip my pronunciation. Um, but then you see, like... Say that. I, I would never rip your head off. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I think they have really good players. But then, like... And they can win games like the quality that some of those players bring to games just to score goals and produce moments is like great. But then they put them in winning positions and then they keep dropping points on winning positions, conceding poor goals, kind of not learning the lessons from like the Chelsea 6 1 where they were like playing out from the back, conceding your goal, playing out from the back, conceding your goal. Like um, the goal against Everton was poor. Um, I think some, I think their strengths lie out wide. Alessia Russo, Leah Galton, Kirsty Hansen. Um, but then they kind of don't get the players wide enough at times, like hugging the touchline, which makes me laugh because that's what my granddad always says when we go watch Bradford City. I feel very like, like I'm just transported to another place there. And then another point that kind of contradicts that is like they don't really use the midfield enough either. Like I think Borisa offered glimpses of kind of what she can bring in there against Everton whenever she got on the ball. And that was her first league start. So when she's fully fit, like, I think she'll be good for them. But it's kind of hard to tell where they are because there's a lot of things that you kind of like, oh, that needs ironing out. That could be better. This could be better. And then all those things combined kind of creates this, like, I guess, underwhelming feeling with the players that they have, to be honest. Um, but I guess the thing is that, you know, they got a new manager and stuff. Like, but then there's quite a few months in. So, yeah, I, like, I don't know how I feel about them, to be honest, at all. I think that's that's fair to say. I think I think for us, at least for me, when you look at the midfield on paper, you know, Boreza, obviously Shaka Grunin is is injured, but she's still a big part of that. You know, Lucy Sandiforth, you can put Elatune. I think Elatune does thrive off that middle, that central role that Casey Stoney was giving her. Um when Casey Stoney was playing Elatune, it was that a really, really high ten position, almost like a false nine, but against a nine. So you basically when you're attacking, you have four four attacking players in, in the front line. Um but yeah, yeah, I don't think they're using their central players necessarily to their best of the ability because I think that's where their biggest strengths are. And obviously on the width as well, I can get why you maybe want to push in wingers because then you have a player like on a bat who wants to overlap and everything. But 
if you if they start playing from their fullbacks that have that ability through the midfield, you know, like a zigzag W all the way up, and then you cross in or you give the ball to Elotu and you give the ball to Lasaru, so you then finish off the motion. I mean, we talk about it. It sounds simple, probably not that simple, but obviously. Um, Abdullah, you know, Mark Skinner was happy after the match about what he saw from the side. And he said, you know, obviously that's be ruthless, but genuinely he's happy with, with how it's going. Do you think he should be? I think, you know, kind of what Ame said, it's like, you can't really, I don't know if he's actually happy if he's just saying it for the cameras, because there are glimpses of what he wants to do, right? There are, I mean, there are some bright spots, like we said, Adesia Russo, uh, Ella Toon, the, uh, you know, I think Onabachi has had a really, really good season this season uh, at the moment, you know, from, from whether she's playing left back or right back. Um but there are still some there are still some places where you you don't you look at it and go right this is a clear problem like you you know both we just touched on that midfield just seems to be like a conduit it's just sitting there just to kind of fill up space and then everything else is happening around them but 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 you can't let that happen that's the most important um Part of your team is the link between what happens behind you and what happens in front of you. And if you don't make that this core central part of the way you way you play, it becomes a problem, right? And and so I think he needs to fix that. And I think that's contributed to the fact that none of the central midfielders have actually had a really good season. Everyone in front of them, whether they're playing as a 10, winger, striker, you're seeing the best. You know, whether it's uh Alessia Russo playing up front or at wide, whether it's Ella Toon playing at the number 10, I think she's been probably their their player of the season so far, at least for me. I think I love her in that number 10 role interchanging. And, and if you look at it, a lot of stuff happens in that half space. So if he can get more out of that 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 sort of the channels bringing in the fullbacks bringing in the wingers bringing in the number 10s and the you know and then all that yeah great you can do something but for that you need a solid base and if your base isn't doing anything you're not gonna not gonna progress so i guess he's happy with the pockets and the glimpses that we're seeing but i i i mean i wouldn't think that he is um i wouldn't think that he's you know totally happy with the way everything is running so yeah i think the next matchup would to watch would probably be Man United Tottenham. I think that's going to be telling about each side and, and where they are. But going on to Everton, who I mean, are is probably in the same boat of they still have a lot to prove. You know, they're perhaps underperforming with the players that they had, and that's what I mean. That's what really got really great. Willie Kirk kicked out at the end of the day was the underperformance of everything. But Amy, Everton's sitting tenth and the table right now. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous when you think about it. But do you think Jean Luc is the right person to keep progressing them forward up on the table on a football front? Um, I kind of I had a lot of thoughts about this when it was announced that I stuck in a thread on Twitter. So I'm going to be concise now. But I do think it's odd that they got rid of Kirk, who needed time to get the group to gel and understand his ideas that he already had a proven track record of, like where he took Everton from like bottom of the league when he took over to like an FA Cup final was amazing. But then to bring in another coach who says that he needs time for the group to gel and to implement his ideas, that coach doesn't have experience of the league. There are doubts whether he is a good coach, like how good a coach he is considering, you know, like Abdullah said about maybe not showing it at Leon. like, it just feels like a gamble. Like it feels like, I mean, it might be, you know, the thing of one step back, two steps forward. Um, but I think it'll be like time will tell. I just I just thought it was kind of odd the, the amount that Vassier has talked about time, considering that obviously Willie Kirk got not that much time this season. Yeah, we, we definitely said the same. When you look at Jean-Luc's track record, he hasn't been at any club for a long time. 
um, I counted it last time. I think I miscounted. I think it was four teams in like six years or something ridiculous like that. Point is, is that he doesn't really last long in a lot of places and his track record when you, you just, you know, he won the, the league in France and he won the Champions League, but how much does that actually say with the players that he had and the momentum that they had? Um, but I mean, yeah, we can talk about that forever, but we'll move on to, to a manager that has progressed and has seen the the fruits of everything coming on, coming together onto the pitch. And that's Hope Powell and Brighton and Hope Powell, we trust that's our, our podcast motto, Amy. Um, but Brighton beat Leicester 1-0, though it was a really, really, really late winner and they did everything the hard way. Um, I was a Simmons free kick. It was really well taken free kick. Um, it was it just dipped perfectly over the keeper and under the the crossbar. It was beautiful, but it was a last minute free kick. I mean, when you look at the chances at Brighton, you, if if you just look at the highlights, you didn't even have to watch the match. Look at the highlights and so many chances that Brighton had, and they just couldn't bury it away. Um, but now they're in third place. Um, Amy, considering we're Brighton is in third place at the moment when Leicester are at the bottom of the table. Was this perhaps maybe a bit disappointing for Hope for Hope Powell's side? I think it was kind of a good win because they weren't at the best. Like they like ground out the win. And like maybe before they kind of wouldn't have done that. Like I know they've got a lot of belief in the team. And I know that Hope Powell's kind of talks about how much belief they have. And um, yeah, so I think the fact that they they've seen this, she must have been impressed with the character. Like, you know, to see your team continue to, like, grind away and get a win in the last minute is, like, even if you don't see a lot of quality on the pitch, that's quite impressive. Um, but I also think Leicester being bottom is a little misleading anyway because I think they are a good team. They've not... They've had a lot of injuries this season. They haven't got the best 11 on the pitch. They've had to change shape because they couldn't get the best 11 on the pitch at times and just haven't had that sort of consistency in having that full squad. Um, so I think that... You know, this is maybe a little bit kind of representative of like Leicester are actually quite good. And, you know, they just got some issues to kind of iron out. Um, but yeah, I think Hope Powell would be pleased with the character, definitely. Yeah, we've talked about Leicester's numbers um, quite a few episodes ago. I think it was when they chased, chased, uh, faced Chelsea. And their numbers were quite good. Their attacking numbers are pretty decent, actually, on the counter-attack. I think Jesse brought that up. But yeah, on paper, it is we were, I think we predicted Leicester to be mid-table uh, in our preview episode just because they had a great goal-scoring record in the championship. Um, I mean, the players that they had, they were playing really, really well. So it was a bit disappointing to see them where they are now. But Abdullah looking more at Brighton and looking at the teams that we already talked about so far, do you think that Brighton can stay up top when they're competing directly against the likes of Tottenham and Man United? You know, at this point, you can't argue against it, right? Every week in, week out, they're showing that they're they're able to keep up and, and, and you know, stay up there. And, you know, um, maybe, and and you know what, they're, they, they're going to give the top teams a run for their money. I think like we were talking about earlier when um, uh, the Spurs might be giving other teams a run for their money, your Arsenal's, your Chelsea's, and obviously your Cities and all that. Uh, I think Brighton could do the same thing. And I think Brighton... I think Brighton will take some points off some one of them. Definitely will t- take some more points off them. And um, if they can keep beating the teams in and around them, 
I mean, there's no no doubt that they can they can sit around that fourth, fifth, sixth position. I mean, anything finishing any one of those three places, I think, will be a hugely successful season. And you know, you know, people will finally realize that oh wow, you know what, Hope Powell, really really good manager, and you know, could pr- propel her to a to, to a job higher up the table. So let's see. I'm 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 kind of low key hoping Brighton end up being like fifth or something because it's just it'll be a nice fairy tale ending to the season and just to kind of see the work that they've put in. It's been really impressive. Should I even dare manifest? Brighton in the Women's Champions League next season that would be great <laughs> that would be amazing we could all become Brighton that? fans for the season <laughs> you know what? it's going to um, happen now I think it'd be cool to see where they kind of stack up as well like yeah, yeah. the qualifiers stick them up against like second or third in like Spain or Germany honestly cool. it could be really be especially cool. with the grit that they have but when you look at when you look at you know when you look at Bright Oblique or someone like Kharkiv in the Women's Championship Kharkiv, right now, I think they could definitely, they're the best in their respective leagues. But when you have, you know, second, third best in the WSL, I think they could fare pretty nicely. Um, so it would be interesting. But maybe another team that is under, okay, Brighton's not underperforming, but another team that perhaps is maybe slightly underperforming considering the players that they have is West Ham, um, who drew 2-2 with Reading. Lisa Evans, though, got her first West Ham goal. Um, that's really exciting. Really good to see her back. Uh, obviously, she was out injured for just a little bit. And Viv Miedema did go to the game, so that was really cute to see. Um, but West Ham and Reading just have two points separating them in seventh and eighth in the table. Amy, was this where you expect to see West Ham and Reading this season? Um, I think kind of yes and no. Like, I expected Reading to be quite like higher up. Um, but they did have a really tough kind of run of fixtures at the start of the season. I think they'll kind of improve as, as weeks go by. I think it's cool to see like Deanne Rose like is properly integrated now because she obviously had a long summer um, and seems to be kind of like doing cool things, which is nice. Um, and West Ham, I kind of, like obviously they had a really tough year last year. Um, but I heard really good things about Oli Harder, like from people that I've spoken to, like, and I kind of expected him to have like that, that full summer to kind of be like, right, this is my philosophy. This is what I want to do without having general pressure of fighting relegation mid-season. So they've drawn some games that I thought they'd win, but they have shown kind of glimpses of quality. So I think they'll be comfortably better than last year and kind of keep moving forward in the right way. Like, I think he's building a nice little project there. They play some decent stuff. Yeah, there's there's a lot of positive stake when we watch West Ham play. It is, yeah, there is those draws that perhaps they shouldn't be getting when they want to be as good as they want to be. But yeah, when you look at the players they have, I mean, they have a strong squad overall. You know, someone like bringing in someone like Lisa Evans talks greatly about the club. You know, Arsenal wouldn't really loan out Lisa Evans just to any club. Um, and I think when you look at West Ham they do have a lot of potential and Arley Harder has been doing well, but again, patience and time as we see a lot in football, but Abdullah, what more do you want to see from West Ham considering everything that we've spoken about so far? I, you know, I think consistency, I think they've got the ingredients. I just said it. I think they've got the ingredients to have, to have a really good team and, and a team with the structure and the way that they want to play. I just think they need to do it more often. I mean, they, they, they drop, silly points and and you know and and where they could get three they get one where they get one they get zero so i think they need to they need to to, to get that consistency and i think they need to manifest um you know the, their best players getting into good positions and kind of getting them into the rhythm i think hasagawa has been very 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 good signing i think i was looking at her stats over the summer before she even moved i was doing a piece for i don't remember what i was doing it for but all i kept seeing was hasagawa up there and like the creative stats like uh, why she was up there as you know best ball progressor 
creative through balls and this and that. I'm like, wow, there's this, there's this, you know, player in, in, in a, at AC Milan who's tearing it up. I wonder if somebody's going to buy her. Then you next thing you know, a month later, West Ham are like, yeah, announced the signing of Asagawa. So I was like, wow, okay, fair enough. Here we go. So I think, I think she's been one of the more exciting signings for them. I, that's, that's, I mean, that in itself is is becoming a very strong team. If they can get some consistency, I think they they could be, a, you know, they could be up there where uh, where Brighton are now and be that that team that just annoys the top three and threatens to be, you know, we're going to be in your face till till the very end. So let's see what happens. Should definitely be interesting what happens. Um, we, we I know we keep talking about table positions and it is like the very beginning, but I think the reason why is that we're at the turning point now where managers and they can't really use the excuse that it's the beginning of the season we're we're just getting started or the injuries it's been a few months now and you're supposed to be at a point right now where you can criticize yourself and say this isn't enough and or kind of know what you want to do more so I think we'll definitely talk about it a bit more probably next episode as well but we'll move on to to one more one more game and Birmingham nil Aston Villain won Anita Sante with the winner in the 25th minute from a header Villa move up to sixth place um, with these three points this match finished just two shots on target one from each side though they did have chances when you look at the highlights they did have chances it just obviously wasn't on target it's pretty much as easy as that but it is you know Birmingham Aston Villa in um in this derby it's it's always a, a decent and fun match to watch especially last season obviously it was a kind of a relegation um bit spiciness in that and i think the season will probably be more or less the same though aston villa have been doing pretty decent you know sixth position is a pretty good place to be in the WSL but Amy Birmingham fought against relegation last season and now they're already in a similar position sitting second to last can they do it again this season and save themselves I'm not sure. I think before the season, I I was thinking, I I think Birmingham will go down because, you know, I didn't really anticipate Leicester being there at this point. Um, I think Leicester will have like an upturn in form and they have that fully fit squad and that consistency of the lineup and the formation and yada, yada. Um, Because they got some really good players in there. I think they've got more goals in them to win games than Birmingham do. And I think that could be the difference. But then the longer Leicester's kind of poor start goes on, the more kind of evenly balanced it becomes between the two, I think. Yeah, it should be interesting. At least Birmingham had the WSL experience last season, whereas Leicester are not only battling with injuries, but then have to get used to the next step up, which is a big step up. Um, And yeah, they still haven't really found the rhythm and and their comfort in the league so far. But Abdullah, Villa have City and and Tottenham coming up next. How many points could they get out of six? Um, Can I say they'll get three against City and zero against Tottenham? Yes, you can. Uh, You know what? At this point, the way things are going, that could very well happen. So you know what? Maybe I'll just stick to that for the the memes. But... um, no, but I think I think for real. I think I think Villa could get. Um, uh, yeah, maybe I think maybe Villa can get maybe two, two. I want to say, okay, you know I'm gonna be ambitious. I'm gonna say they get four points out of this. What order they get in the four points in? I don't know, but I think they can get four points out of this. We'll see in the next couple of weeks in the pod if I'm completely wrong or I'm right. But um, 
I mean, they're showing some, uh, they're showing some grit. They're in their sixth position. Nothing to be, that's, that's the position that, you know, the rest of these teams want to be aiming for. And if they can, uh, if they can, if they can keep it going and, and, and grind out wins, then who knows? City are in a very, very bad place right now. And while Spurs are up, you know, are up there, they're going into, that'll be up at this point. In some weird way, that might just be the tougher game. So um, let, let's see what happens. I'm going to say four points out of six. Amy, do you want to have a quick go at that? <laughs> no, I'm not silly enough to do that. <laughs> see, I, I just I just like to take risks in life. So you know, here we I wouldn't be, would be surprised if they didn't if they avoided defeating both games. I think. Yeah. Okay. I think it's the more logical answer. I think like they they can kind of grind out and like they're very well drilled. Like and they they'll scrap for points. Like yeah, I can see, I can see where you're coming from. <laughs> yeah, it'll, it'll be it'll be give and go. I think uh, we'll see who's right, and we'll see we'll come back onto this. And what about you, Alex? What do you what do you think? Oh God, you had to ask me, didn't you? Um, of course, I have to. Ask I think you. I think they can scrap out a point um, against Tottenham. I think they're very similar in the way they play it, in a in a very defensive, organized way that it could probably finish with a very low, low shots um, in the entire match and then have, you know, Anita Santis score a header in, in the last second or a really scrappy, you know, Ashley Neville goal, for example. I think I think that's going to be, it's either going to end in a draw or it's going to be a really scrappy goal to save one of the, the teams out. Against City, you know what, anything can happen. We're going to manifest that City drops more points, so maybe we can get Gareth Taylor out of here. But we'll we'll see about that. It probably won't happen, and, and the right answer will probably be zero points out of six. But I'll I'll give them I'll give them at least two. I'll give I'll give them a draw each. You know I think City could do bad enough that it could happen. You never know. But yeah, we'll leave that there. Um, that's everything for us from this week's WSL episode. And thank you, Amy, for joining us. I hope you enjoyed that in the talk. You can follow her on Twitter at Amy Ruskai, and we'll tag it on our. Twitter when we post out this episode so you can just click through there and give her a follow through that um, but yeah she's a really good content creator for European football in general and, and she likes Alexia Putea so we do love her on this podcast um, but yeah keep up to date with our latest episodes at BoxBoxWCL on Twitter and yeah you'll be able to, to see Amy's handle on there give her a follow give her a read of her stuff it's really good really good content as usual um, don't expect me to talk you up this much always Amy Um but we'll also let you know on there when we have our next Champions League episode and make sure you just give us follow on there and if you listen on the platform where you can leave a review we would really appreciate that but thank you everyone for listening and see you again next week <laughs>